0: That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Prommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. We're about to torture ourselves by trying to come up with the most underrated player on each and every one of the 15 Eastern Conference teams in the NBA. It's a daunting task. I think we both struggle to come up with names for some teams, and it's even harder because the very concept of underratedness is this nebulous idea, like how, how are we determining how players are properly rated and then how they exceed that? I think my approach, and I would assume Dan did the same, is you know we're, we're at least fairly in tune with the popular perception of players and just involved enough with articles and social media content and social media replies to big accounts that we see who gets talked about and who doesn't. So that's kind of how I'm basing this. So my two questions for you, Dan, First and most importantly, how are you doing? And secondly, how did you do this?
2: All is well over here. My brain still hurts from trying to do this exercise. I kind of tried to... I did it independent of whether the players might be underrated amongst their own fan base or team, because I do think that, especially with the way league coverage skews regionally now, which is not... I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but the way fans are so in tune with everything about their team... They're going to be like, oh, you know, well, we appreciate them just fine. And that's great. I did this from the more pullback national perspective. Who doesn't get enough shine? Uh, I didn't hesitate to throw stars into the mold or fringe stars, I should say. But like I wasn't picking for Miami, I didn't pick Jimmy Butler, even though you could, or Drew Holiday in Milwaukee, even though I think you could argue that those guys might still be underappreciated. It's more so what guys I don't think are being talked about enough or bringing the most value. That nationally isn't being recognized, or maybe people don't yet understand how how good they are, and so I I did it that way, steering clear of basically entrenched stars, and then just trying to measure it not independent again of what a team's fan base actually thinks of that player.
1: Yeah, I took basically the same approach. Um, you know, it, it's funny just how the timing worked on this because we were we spent. An earlier portion of the week trying to come up with these names. And then as we were preparing to record this podcast, I I promoted a tweet from Owen Phillips, uh, the the F5.substack.com author, where he actually looked at the number of page views for every single player on basketball reference in the NBA and compared that to a number of different catch-all metrics and determined that far and away, D'Anthony Melton was the most underrated player in the NBA. Obviously, because he's on the Memphis Grizzlies, we're not going to be talking about him because that's the Western Conference on this particular episode. But I really liked that approach, and I think that's what we're attempting to approximate, just the amount of coverage a player receives versus how good they are. And I think, Dan, what you said about skewing towards the national coverage rather than the local coverage that is so entrenched in the, un- the 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 undergoings of every single player and every single fringe roster member on a team is important
2: right and i tried to find like whether it was statistical or just you know watching back clips of the players tried to find just something so make this digestible we're not doing like 10 minutes on each player but just something that stands out to me about the way they're playing or what i think maybe isn't being necessarily talked about
1: enough. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. So let's let's go ahead and kick this off. We'll go alphabetically um, and Dan and I will kind of alternate taking the lead on each team. Uh, so we'll start with the Atlanta Hawks, which naturally I have to get. And I I waffled between Clint Capella and Kevin Herter. Uh, Capella has just been so important to the defensive foundation of a Hawks team that is like playing fairly average defense for the most part with some ups and a few more downs than ups. But the impact that he's had as a rebounder and a defensive presence has been huge and has allowed the offensive pieces to exhibit more freedom on that end. But I I think it still has to be Herter just because he doesn't, he flies so far beneath the radar, especially now that the focus is on when they're going to have Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter on the court and available at the same time. But Herder has quietly been shooting 37% from threes and contributing in just every single area. He's taken he's taken on more of a scoring workload recently and it hasn't cut into his playmaking abilities. He's contributing on the defensive end. He grabs rebounds. He always seems to be in the right spot. It seems like on a nightly basis he's managing to do something positive that just doesn't garner as much attention as what Trey Young is doing or John Collins is doing or or Bogdan Bogdanovich is doing or whoever else it may be on that night because he's rarely the marquee star so much as the consistent supporting piece.
2: Yeah, I I don't think you had to worry about waffling either because Clint Capello was my actual pick for them, so I think we cover all the bases here. I think Kevin Herter, people still, I don't think, appreciate or recognize how much he can actually do off the dribble. There is that element of Jay Crowderness to him, I call it, where he's a, a little too adventure adventurous on some occasions, and so that's why you would probably prefer a bogey to operate on ball, maybe even a Danilo Gallinari when when he's healthy, maybe even DeAndre Hunter at this point. He was, and you know, he would have been in play for this. Were, were he not injured, he was not being talked enough in the most improved player conversation. I went with Capella because of all the things he's doing on defense for them, a monster around the basket. Uh, he'll box out, he'll grab contested rebounds. Uh, only. Rudy Gobert is contesting more shots at the rim than him per game right now. He is someone who, I've just mentioned before, always finds a way to play really well within his role. And I think his value got obfuscated a little bit in Houston towards the end there because of how much of, not a liability he became, because of how much the roster changed after that Chris Paul trade, where it was they couldn't necessarily afford to have him on the court with the way they wanted to play when you already had another non-shooter in Russell Westbrook. So he's been really great for this team and i don't you know this isn't someone who's going to be in the defensive player of the year even all defense conversation because there are only two center spots in those or is that done regardless of position i always it's forget.
1: regardless of position then on maybe, all but like teams.
2: He, he would be someone who you know when you look at estimated um defensive plus minus from dunks and threes like he's in the top 20 in the league in that right now 95th percentile i believe so he's just been super impactful for this team and He's closer to a, a star than not, or an all-star, I guess, than not, but it's just one of those—I picked two fringe stars throughout all this, and he was the first one because I don't think it's—he's never really been fully appreciated because I do think players like him really quickly, there's there's, that tendency a lot to want to branch out, and he—I'm sure maybe he wants to, but like this isn't someone you need to give a ceremonial post-up to. Like He's still going to screen for you, he's going to roll, he's going to hit the glass— He's going to defend hard. His motor isn't impacted by how much offensive volume he's he's generated. And his Clippers king... era
1: DeAndre Jordan.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's totally fair. It's and you know it's so it's that role is just I think it's been huge for them, and he's had more of a making more of a defensive impact than he's credited with because so much is focused on. I think it's been surprised. You already mentioned that the Hawks are about league average defensively so far this year, and he's among the. I think most people have actually said this. I was on another podcast today that mentioned this. He's probably been. Atlanta's most consistent player this year, too.
1: When he's been available, yeah.
2: Right. I mean, ever just assume that availability is is an asterisk for every team, but especially Atlanta. Just when you've had Trey Young be so up and down this year, it, it helps that you've had Capella as that steadying force in the middle.
1: For sure, and it did seem like in Houston, particularly, particularly, so much of his reputation was he's a product of James Harden. You know, he scores all his points off the roll. And he's only doing that because Harden is such a unique gravitational force and a gifted pick and roll passer. And, you know, Trey Young is too, obviously. But I, I think it's now pretty clear that he is capable of anchoring a defense and contributing on offense, regardless of the star that's beside him. So I don't think there's a wrong choice between the two.
2: No, not at all. Uh, that would leave me with the Boston Celtics. I have Time Lord here. There is still a level of concern about how successful can he be in a larger role, and we've seen him struggle against some of the burlier bigs. You could also say that, you know, maybe some Capella might be a good example, though I think he's improved at that aspect of his game as his career has gone on. This is just someone who's a much smarter player than I think we talk about. When you kind of look at his defensive positioning, where it doesn't feel like he's getting burned all these times, maybe he gets overpowered, but it's not because he's necessarily in the wrong spot. Um, you can count on him to finish around the basket. He has, over the past two seasons, just really established himself as, hey, I'm going to keep the ball moving, and he's thrown some nice passes on the move too. Can be a little turnover happy, which is you know tough when you have basically the same turnover rate or a higher turnover rate than your usage is never a great sign. But fantastic hands. You know you can look at the, the blocks are great, but like he can really get – he's going to force some steals too, and he's going to be very aware of bad passes or he's going to force those deflections one of the more underrated big men right now. And I do think when you watch him play, you forget that he's listed at six eight. This is someone that feels like he plays a lot bigger.
1: At least seven one big.
2: That was like a very specific number. I'm here for it.
1: I appreciate that. But no, I, I think I think Rob Williams is the right choice. I do I, I think we have to give a shout out to Peyton Pritchard probably just because he was only the 26th uh, the twenty sixth pick of the first round this year and has shown that he's not just a pesky defender. He's a consistent three-point shooter. He's starting to flash more off the dribble juice as a scorer, which is important as the Boston Celtics, much like every other team in the NBA, suffers way too many key injuries. Um, I, I don't think he should be the choice here, but we would be remiss not to at least mention him.
2: We Marcus Smart might need to be a perennial honorable mention. I don't think people appreciate... You know, there's the jokes about his confidence as a shooter, but, like, he continuously hits big shots. And the clutch numbers don't always back this up, but, like, he's shooting 36% on threes in the clutch this year. He's turned into a more viable three-point shooter, and whether he's, you know, three of 13 or, you know, three of six, like, he's just going to fire away, and that's something – I appreciate. He's more mainstream, so I don't think. He yeah, mention, I, I think but... I
1: just I view him as like the non-star version of Mike Conley, where he's so universally recognized as underrated that even though he's not overrated, he's not underrated anymore.
2: He was number three on my list because I had Pritchard too, but it's tough for me sometimes with to mention rookies necessarily. But yeah. I, I I agree with I would be there for that selection as well. And look, Pritchard on defense is just. I don't watch a lot of college basketball anyway, so not that I've known this, but everything I was reading like didn't really focus on his defense. And He moves really well and can play kind of physical on the defensive end, too.
1: He's willing to pick guys up like at least three-quarter court, too, which is huge.
2: He's got that TJ McConnell, Javon Carter gene in him.
1: Exactly. Brooklyn Nets, I think there's only one choice here, and it's Nick Claxton. And the Nets basically cemented this decision for me. It felt like Claxton was starting to get the love that he deserved for just the enthusiasm with which he played, the relentless energy, the willingness to protect the rim and fill those non-glamorous voids while also taking on more of a scoring role. But then the Nets basically decided that they weren't going to play him much anymore by signing LaMarcus Aldridge on the buyout market, who has since retired, and acquiring Blake Griffin the same way. And it was just this this clear message that they wanted the bigger names and weren't willing to commit to him in the rotation, which I I still think was a mistake. Uh, He's played really well whenever he's been on the court and it just hasn't been enough.
2: Yeah. They've played him more uh, since the, even before Aldridge retired because he wasn't necessarily playing with them, but his minutes were down when they had Aldridge in the rotation. So I'm this might be a situation where he could still be underappreciated in his uh, on his own team, and there, but there is, and you knew, you know, I wrote about him. If you go to Bball Index's database, uh, there is, we're talking about switchability among bigs, and so among 511 players who stand 6'10 or taller, and logged at least 300 minutes in a single season since 2013-2014, he is second in partial possession possession spent defending point guards, behind only this season's Ben Simmons, according to Bball Index. He's also seventh in that time in switching on to shooting guards within the same group. So it's, or guarding shooting guards, since this isn't, it's basically a switch for the most part. But, so I found that absolutely fascinating. There are still holes in his game, can be a little bit foul-happy. There's, you look at his offense, there might be a much better player there because he's shown he's comfortable putting the ball on the floor. But when you're shooting in the 30, like, you know, 30-something percent on drives, uh, he's shooting a disastrous clip on his hook shots. He was like 3 of 13 on those the last time I checked. So his his decision making could stand to get a little bit better there. But this is someone who's you know he's still he's he's getting better at setting screens. You can use him as a roller. Um you can use him as a lob catcher. He does just a lot of things. He's at thirty three point three percent on hook shots this year, by the way, to correct myself there. I I think that this is just someone who is, though, a a genuine defensive game changer already, not just because of the switchability, but when you look at his recovery around the basket too, help side defense, really swatting shots away. I think everyone's probably seen the clips of him defending Damian Lillard in crunch time. Like, this is just someone who, it wasn't blocking a shot, it was forcing the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands. Damian Lillard in crunch time, forcing the ball out of his hands. So there's a really good player there, and I'm very intrigued to see how the Nets use him in the playoffs. It does seem like they're giving him more run now. I'm just curious to see if he's going to get um, a longer leash, the same amount of leash, a shorter leash, once they get to the postseason.
1: Did you have a second option for the Nets? Because, like, you might laugh at this, but my backup choice was James Harden. Because it feels like everyone on the Nets gets the proper amount of attention, if not a little too much. But Harden is just hated by such a wide portion of the nba fan base because of his style of play then i think the ridiculous historic offensive effectiveness still gets a little bit undersold
2: i guess you could go with him i'd be more inclined to go with a bruce brown or a jeff green in that situation just guys who have been um solid for them and especially like jeff green too like the if he can go in their downsize lineups we've seen bruce brown hanging around in the dunker spot this season I'd be way more inclined to go with those two guys. There might be people who might even say Alizé Johnson, but I was trying to pick guys who have an actual role on their team was sort of the other population right. that I had. So I wouldn't begrudge you that. I do think what happened in Houston has kind of still been held against Harden, and it's definitely been brought up, even by me, when we've had the MVP. Well, I'm not discussion. picking him for Houston. No, but I'm talking about, <laughs> like, look, in the MVP discussion, they're using the Houston right. stuff against right. him, and I've even used that against him, even though it doesn't matter anymore with all the time he's missed. So uh, that's the other thing, too. James Harden just out right now that yeah, is yeah. and maybe not coming back to the playoffs
1: i'm talking about just level of play
2: no i i i get it i just wouldn't he wouldn't have cracked my my top three for the next yeah, i
1: just no. i think there's too large a percentage of nba fans who just aren't willing to admit because they don't like how he generates his offense that like, this is one of the best offensive forces we have ever seen in the nba i'm with it
2: for the charlotte hornets I had I was tempted to go with Miles Bridges here and you could probably even throw some love to to PJ Washington if you wanted to. I went with Terry Rozier and while we've seen the limitations to his game when you have LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward both out, this is someone who was just billed as like a terrible player when he first signed that 3-year, 56.7 million dollar deal in the it was a sign and trade with Charlotte and Boston. I, I do think we need to get better at evaluating players independent of their contracts. Like once they sign it, if there's a chance they might not live up to it, but you have to start evaluating them outside that number. He's actually living up to his price point. Uh, you know, when you look at his scoring and the efficiency, um, you know, fifty plus percent on twos and then shooting above forty percent on threes, there are only a handful of other players that are matching those throughout the season. They're they're all stars. And while Rosier's not a star, he is a knockdown shooter off the catch. He's shown he can do some off-the-dribble stuff, both uh, beyond the arc and and inside the arc. His playmaking has gotten better. Uh, He's second on the Hornets in points scored per possession as a pick-and-roll ball handler this year. So there's that element of just like, hey, he can run an offense, not going to be ideal. And as I mentioned before, we've seen the limitations. You add in the fact, though, that he's just going to give you some like stout defensive minutes against either guard position on more, uh, I'll say more than occasional stout defense in those situations, that's just that's absolutely huge and so we're talking about one of the best compliments in the league now where no you don't want him to be your first or second option if you're on a championship team but like after that when you're talking about accessory players or just scalable talents who can make an, an impact aside from just being plug and play he he's in that conversation
1: i also thought about mentioning miles bridges here but i kind of think he's just dunked his way out of the conversation because some of his highlights have garnered so much attention that people have started paying attention to him more as just this ideal running mate for LaMelo Ball when he's healthy. But yeah, I think it has to be Terry Rozier, especially just given the clutch numbers. I mean, the dude is slashing 52.6, 50 and 89.5 when games are within five points in the final five minutes and the Hornets are outscoring opponents by 3.4 points in those situations. Like, that's that's huge. It is a stark contrast from the player that he was immediately after signing his mega deal with the Hornets, and he's, he's just come so far that I think...
3: Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.
1: It's becoming clear how good he is to everyone, but he's still overcoming that overpaid reputation. He, He has to be the choice. I don't really even have a backup here.
2: This is someone who and I guess the best way to contextualize is he is even at his like near $20 million a year price point and it, it is lower than that. You would get a first round pick if you were to trade him over the offseason. Yeah.
1: And I yeah, don't think, I think they should. For I want sure. make that
2: clear. But
1: nor do I. I. I definitely hope they do not. Uh for the Chicago Bulls, you know, I I toyed with With naming Denzel Valentine here, just because I refuse to give up on him being a useful rotation player, but he's his play has not merited that selection. So I think it has to be Thaddeus Young, where after a couple of years with the Indiana Pacers, where he was a good rotation player, but nothing special. And then his first season in Chicago just didn't go particularly well, but he is reinvigorated during this age 32 season. You know, it's it's not about the scoring numbers. It's about the versatility that he brings and his willingness to fill so many different roles. And beyond that, just the sheer defensive presence. I mean, he is everywhere for that Chicago Bulls team, which is so important when Zach Levine is, is on the court and still isn't a great defender. And now you're adding Nikola Vucevic into the mix and Kobe White isn't a great defender. And you, you need that guy who can scratch the wing itch while also protecting the rim as a help defender. Um, you know, I, I think we, we see it just in like the box plus minus numbers. With with the Pacers, 0.5, 0.2, 1.5. He plummeted to minus 1.2 last year and he skyrocketed to 3.2 this year, which is one of the single biggest year-to-year improvements that we've seen in the NBA this season. Like, he is a legitimately game changing presence for the Bulls right now which no one could have expected after the last few years.
2: Yeah, he was my pick too, and it's interesting. Jordan Clarkson was considered fait accompli for six-man of the year. I don't even know if he's in my top three right now. I have Joe Ingles, Chris Boucher, and I don't know what to do with Thaddeus Young because he started 17 games this season, was in the starting lineup for a bit with Chicago post-trade deadline, and even pre-trade deadline. Now he's out. He has not started the past three games for them, so I don't know where I land up there, but if he— if, you can get, if he hasn't started too many games by the end of the year, he might need to be the front-runner for sixth man. It might, it's probably him or Jordan. I would Williams. not
1: hate that at all.
2: And i the only things I could really add to you is just the, the passing on the short roll from him, and he's just one of the the defenders when you look at... He, I don't want to say he's the best help defender in the NBA, but he might be. You could also count on him to do a lot of one-on-one stuff where if you need to match up against, like, a Giannis or Bam, no, he's not the answer to those guys. But like, that's the type of mobility and body... That he has. So he has easily been one of the more unsung players this season, but I think he was towards the trade deadline. I think you could kind of understand with the reports that kept coming out where the Bulls saying we're not interested in trading him, we're not interested in trading him. It's because of the interest that there wasn't acquiring him and would just be that really helpful player on any really
1: good team in the league. Yeah, yeah, he has to be the choice here.
2: With Cleveland, I debated a few guys. I Darius Garland ended up being my my second place guy with Larry Dance Jr. being in third. I think because he's starting to get the Larry Dance Jr., his availability has been wonky, and I think he's gotten a lot more recognition for basically being like this do-a-little-bit-of-everything guy. Uh, although, when you see someone who could legitimately play the three through five on either end of the floor, even though Cleveland likes to steer away from playing him at the five, that's huge, and him being a perimeter threat on offense is huge, just the passing. I still landed on Colin Sexton, because I don't think when we talk about the Cavs, it's as if they don't have any true blue chip cornerstones, and they might not. I want to make that clear. But like Sexton gives them a possibility there, and I even think Garland, uh, he's been who's just been tearing it up since the middle of March, by the way, and been pretty good all season. He he gives them an option too. But Colin Sexton comes really close. There are only right now ten other players who average more than twenty four points a game while matching Sexton's efficiency inside the arc at 51.6% as of this recording, and behind it, 37% on threes. Now, among that group, there are only three players that have a higher free-throw attempt rate, KD, Joel Embiid, and Karl-Anthony Towns. Sexton has improved his game dramatically as a playmaker on the move, doesn't get as much tunnel vision on drive and makes better decisions there, Um, is more of a trustworthy guy if you need him to put pressure on multiple levels, not just two of them or even one of them. And he's doing a lot of on-ball stuff, where I think there tends to be this discrepancy in how he's viewed. It keeps coming back to, well, he just can't run an offense, or he's not a floor general. Okay, cool. He's not supposed to be. The Cavs don't use him in that way. I will still argue he's more combo guard than not, but he's not supposed to be this actual, if you want to say pure point guard, whatever you want to say. So once you view him outside of that specter, I think it's really easy to appreciate that, hey, he might be a future all-star, and this is someone that... Is he going to be the best player on a championship team? My guess would be no, but that's 99% of league where the guess would be no. And so if you found someone who could be the number two on a great team, that's huge for your rebuild.
1: I love this one because it's the first time we're like really differing. Um, I, I think Sexton got enough love with his ridiculously hot start to the year that people were viewing him as that future all-star, even though Cleveland's play tailed off after the unsustainably good opening to the season that they had, I think that reputation has persisted to some extent. Uh, you actually didn't even mention my top choice um, among your top three candidates, and that's Jared Allen.
2: Um, <laughs> Sometimes I forget he's on the Cavs, I'm not going to lie. I was running yeah, about the Cavs I mean, the other day, and I was like, oh, that's right, Jared Allen is on the Cavs.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's somewhat forgettable which is kind of weird to say about like such a highlight generating shot blocking big man but the Cavs as a whole have been forgettable after the hot start and he wasn't there for the hot start so i think that plays into the forgettableness but ultimately like he's exactly the kind of big man who i enjoy watching because he's so mistake averse he's a great challenger around the rim he has the potential to become a defensive anchor even if he's definitely not there yet he's getting to the free throw line almost six times per 36 minutes which i don't think many people realize and he's hitting 70 percent of those charity shots but beyond that he just doesn't make mistakes Shooting 61.9% from the field, he's taken the occasional three, but it happens to be in the right situation. Granted, he's not really much of a ball handler, but he still only turns the ball over 1.4 times per game. Like, just the ability to avoid negative plays while contributing on both ends like he does, I think he needs a lot more love. I mean, and you're kind of helping prove it for me by not even mentioning him.
2: Yeah, I guess—I just never viewed him really as— he felt more underrated by the Nets themselves than actually underrated in general because it felt pretty clear among NBA Intelligenza that Jared Allen was ridiculously good. What's hard about this is—and I'm not even—I guess this is going to come off as like being an asshole, but I sometimes forget that the way that we might view players is just not the same where majority of the fans will. They're not going to be here, you know, talking about—a lot of people aren't going to be— we're, a lot of people are going to think Jared Allen is underrated. They might have more mainstream names than you or I, and so that's the hard part of, like, doing the doing this exercise. I still—I knew he was on the Cavs while I was doing the exercise. I, he just didn't even crack my my top three.
1: I'm just—I was shocked that you had, like, Darius Garland over him.
2: Have you watched Darius Garland? Darius Garland feels like he is so much more Right. Like man of the game. He's
1: improved like- a ton since that awful rookie season.
2: My thing, my thing with Garland, though, too, is or with Sexton, rather, is if you were gonna disqualify him, which is fine. If I feel like there are people playing at a fringe star level that aren't getting enough recognition, I might gravitate towards them. But I would still pivot, to, Gar- I would still pivot to Garland as number two. It feels like he is uh, his control of the game, especially when he's in the lane, has gotten so much better. And uh, that's not. I think when everyone talks about the Cavs, they are talking about Sexton first and foremost, but mm. they're going to colin sexton first and i still i keep coming back to the fact why those two players are highlighting is people look at the cabs as absent a blue chip cornerstone that being said jared allen is actually a part of that conversation because you're looking at three guys and four with isaac okoro who feel like they really are long-term keepers and helpers
1: yeah I, i'm still willing to put jared allen in that blue chip conversation which i think speaks to why i'm picking him here
2: yeah and i mean the he's shown a little bit of a passing improvement too since he's arrived in
1: cleveland yeah. Detroit is one that I really struggled with and ended up with a rookie, which I know you're not a huge fan of. They have four of right. And that's why I I wasn't more specific right off the bat, but it's, I think it's Isaiah Stewart. Um, It feels like he is a perfect example of the differentiation that you made at the top of this podcast, that we are looking at this from a national perspective rather than a local perspective where he has been playing so well lately over the last nine games, he's averaging 12.4 points and 10.2 rebounds. He's shooting 67.6% from the field. He's made a pair of three pointers. He's been blocking shots. He's getting Mm -hmm. a little bit more involved as a passer, though still not doing much. He's avoiding fouls. He's staying on the court, but as much love as he's getting from Detroit writers and Detroit fan base, I don't think that's translated to the national attention that he deserves as a potential legitimate building block in Detroit, which is sorely needed.
2: Well, I will tell you, I picked Isaiah Stewart as well, and I think you're totally, you're you're on point there. And I, this wasn't hard for me at all. I mean, they did have four rookies to choose from. I still remain off the limited sample we've seen from Killian Hayes. I, I remain tantalized by Killian Hayes. So he was say. my
1: second choice.
2: So he could be there. Even if, if you just view Sadiq Bey as this 3-and-D guy, he has more ball skills than advertised – with Isaiah Stewart, though, there is a BR commenter who disagrees with you because I was talking, I wrote an article on the the worst teams this season was talking about Detroit's future, and I said they're among the teams where you look at them and don't know who their north star is. Someone argued that Isaiah Isaiah Stewart is a future star, and there you go. That's just proof that he, he is maybe not underrated within the Pistons fan base. I would echo everything you said. The two notes that I would add are that dude just keeps going. There's just running the floor, just like being around the basket, um, right right place. I like how he can like put the ball on the floor off the catch where it's like if he's sort of, it's like a, maybe he didn't screen and roll, but he's diving to the basket and he needs one or two dribbles to before he can finish and is able to do that. And he is, you know, I wouldn't say that he's like the best rim protector, but he definitely impacts shots or shot choices uh, this season Opponents are shooting 8.2 percentage points worse at the rim when he's on the floor. That's the fifth highest differential, or fifth largest differential, among all players who have logged at least 500 minutes. So Detroit got a good one in Isaiah Stewart. And I'll I'll echo this one more time: the fact they have like four rookies, and you throw Saban Lee in there as well, where it's like, hey, those guys might just be. Those are definitely NBA players. And Lee is probably the most questionable of the bunch so far. That's you know that, that that's rock solid depth for them. I still think they need their North Star and Killian Hayes still has the best chance in my opinion to be that more so than Bay or Stewart. But I don't think anyone, least of all myself, I didn't think he was going to make it. I just didn't think he had like the the oomph as I say with the bigs, and he he just clearly does. I missed the mark on him so hard.
1: I will say with Sadiq Bay, I am firmly on board with him developing into a non-star with a star's impact, kind of like. What we thought Otto Porter Jr. was going to be before injuries derailed him.
2: Fair enough. Uh, that's going to bring us to the Indiana Pacers. This one was kind of tough because I feel like it's between Indiana and Utah for teams that have the best or the most really good players on their rosters, and yet Indiana has struggled a lot this season. I would argue mostly due to you know spotty availability from essentially everyone. I think it's Doug McDermott here, and I I vacillated between he and T.J. McConnell, but I think McConnell's starting to get like you know national burn for the way that he just really defends and wakes up, and he's in your jersey already if you're his opponent. Uh, McDermott just as you know he brings that shooting uh, th- that shooting value, and he is playing a combo forward role right now. Um, he's an excellent cutter, and he's been essentially when you look at players who have finished at least. Um, 50 such of, of those plays, of those cuts, he is third in points per possession behind uh, Brook Lopez and Zach Levine. And I found I found Brook Lopez there being funny. And so he really keeps defenses on his toes because he's able to hit that three ball and he can do that, you know, quickly. He can do that in motion if you need him to. And when he's going to, you know, find those, seat, find those holes towards the basket or capitalize on a sleeping defender or go back door on you, um, that's, that's really valuable. And I do think that he's, been able to, relative to how the Pacers have used him, he just hasn't been like this huge defensive liability. Where When there have been a lot of half-court breakdowns, it's not even really because of him. It's just because the whole system there seems broken. And Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrose is really fun about this. Um, Just different sorts of defensive lapses. She's way more specific and more schooled on it than I would ever be. I think McDermott entering free agency this season is someone who's going to be pretty heavily targeted, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's due for... A salary in the the eight figures where you're cracking that ten million
1: annually territory. There's a chance that Kate, Caitlin Cooper is the most underrated person affiliated with the Pacers.
2: She better not be underrated. First of all, they should have her on their staff already. And I, I agree. The you know,
1: analysis I, is so good. She
2: is in the one hundredth percentile of people who are able to uh, verbalize to dumb people like you and I uh, complicated x's and o's stuff the her her flow her prose fantastic if you don't read her caitlin cooper at uh i don't have her twitter handle in front of me i'll look it up since we'll shout her out here but she was she's so good writes for indy Cornrose, and she has to be you know i don't know how. if you want on, to learn
1: something every time you read an article that's and, where you should go
2: yeah the specific i like and she's so specific and it's at c2 underscore cooper so be sure to check her out
1: but since we're talking about players, you know, I, I don't begrudge you either of your choices. I think that those are totally valid arguments. I, I went bigger here with either Malcolm Brogdon or Miles Turner. I think with Turner, some national writers like still aren't willing to put him in the defensive player of the year race early in the season and have to like come around to that later. You know, I, I'm sure you have no idea who I'm talking about. None. Anything? Nothing. Anything? Zero. No, just silence. Zero. Okay. Uh, no, but uh, for real, my I think my answer is Brogdon. Where there's recognition just how good he is, but I don't think people realize just how fucking good he is. Like he he thrived as this complimentary figure on the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, clearly excelling in the ginormous shadow of Giannis Antetokounmpo. But he's become like a legitimate north star for a competitive organization. I mean, he's capable of putting up 21, six and six on a nightly basis. He's always going to flirt with the 50, 40, 90 club. He doesn't make mistakes. He can fill any role. If you need him to serve as a lead ball handler who can get his shots off the bounce, who can create for others in the pick and roll, he can do that. If you want him to fill an off ball role, he's always going to make the right cuts. He's always going to end up in the right spots. He knows how to play in transition. There just is not a weakness to his game. And I don't think he's viewed as that potential like top thirty, top twenty-five player, but he should be.
2: You, Malcolm Brogdon is a top twenty-five player.
1: I think he can. I think he can play like that. Maybe not for the extent of a season, but in short spurts, he is capable of that.
2: That is a spicy take. You need to cut that out and throw it on on Twitter for people to hear you say that one. I'd be more inclined to go with Miles Turner. Maybe I'm just trying to uh, generate some. Some goodwill from Pacers Twitter, which just absolutely destroyed me when I d- predicted that he wouldn't win Defensive Player of the Year, essentially, way back when. I took ownership of the confusion in the way I approached that exercise, so I'm not doing a victory lap here. But the pressure that they've put on that he just that they allow him to face defensively um, when he's been healthy this year is just— I, I think his defensive workload is probably like among the top three in the league. I'm not talking about just shot contests at the rim. But especially when you're going to isolate bigs, Rudy Gobert is one. I'm trying to think of another big, maybe a healthy Anthony Davis, but he hasn't really played. I still think Davis is a little underrated in that regard because he's not that traditional rim protector. Uh, so he he's right there for me, and I don't think that's probably talked about enough. People might be more likely to harp on, yeah, he's been in the defensive player of the year conversation, but they'll harp on his overall shooting splits this year where he's been below average, um, has had peaks and valleys, like anyone in any season. But they look at—I think I even made the joke where I think Rashawn Holmes is averaging more points per shot on his floaters than Miles Turner is averaging on wide-open threes. So uh, that's—he is—I would say he's like a top-50 guy and is probably not recognized as such nearly enough. And that's Miles Turner. I do not think Malcolm Brogdon is a top-10 player in the NBA like you do, though.
1: Yeah, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and just kind of clarify— what i meant better than what i said i don't think that he is a top 25 or top 30 player when everyone's available i do think he's capable of playing like that for a 10 game stretch a 20 game stretch uh when he needs to but he's not going to maintain that that workload for an entire season
2: i think it's adorable that you don't think i'm going to cut that part out and it's all all you're going to hear is you saying you think malcolm Brogdon's a top 25
1: player. i'm I'm used to you trying to do that anyway whatever
2: (laughs) I believe you're on Miami, right? This was this was the hardest. Let's can, team, can we
1: just move on? I I don't have an answer. I don't I don't think that there's a legitimate answer for the Miami Heat.
2: So I came I came up with Max Truce. I think <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I,
1: I was I was close to picking Nemanja Bjelica because of what he might be able to do. That will but he's I, also shooting like negative three percent on threes this year.
2: Yeah, and he's he has like a little like a. He has like a little motherfucker in his game where he's more physical when he puts the ball on the floor. So I could see that as a theoretical. I understand why uh, Struess doesn't get like consistent minutes in Miami unless they're really banged up. But someone who's who can relocate off the ball, hit some difficult threes, and gives you just like you know six five on defense, and he's covered like a bunch of in, in at least. A, and I will say I've not watched a ton of. Uh, Max Drews this season of the games that I've seen where he's played like he can give you something positionally on defense where it's not just oh he needs to cover a two guard because he's six five he's been on some threes been on some fours I'm just curious to see like you know he's 25 Uh, what what becomes of him Is, is this like someone who's going to you know land somewhere in the NBA so I I had him but he's
1: our two against... choices have played a combined 462 minutes this year.
2: Right, and the problem with him is that they've really only needed him as, like, this emergency guy on the perimeter because they are, for all that they don't have, I don't want to say they're stacked there, but, like, the, between Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler, Fitzgerald was injured, but they have him. Dragic has been injured a lot, but they still have him. They have Kendrick Nunn. Like, they're just – they're set at, like, in those guards spots. And so even if you look like – you could use him, sure, on the wings more just as a as a three, and I think that's where he's played most of his minutes, actually, this year. Um yeah or about he's been split evenly between the 2 and the and the 3. So uh, but th- I needed to come up with a name and I just believe this plays so bad this year that I don't know. But that's a product of maybe inconsistent playing time uh, since the beginning of the season basically or definitely since the middle of it. Still, I felt a little weird. You're right. I think we could get away with picking no one here, but I'm I'm settling on I'm, on am officially my guy Max Struz.
1: I think if I if I truly had to pick someone, it might be Dwayne Dunn. <laughs> Who's played three games for Miami this season, but like the last two have been great. It
2: shouldn't have taken him this long to land on a roster.
1: Exactly. Like a couple of nights ago, he had 10 points on one shot. I'm not misspeaking. He made eight free throws and one field goal on one field goal attempt. And he followed that up with 12 and six. Like he's played well the last few games, which also happened to be the only games he's played. Let's move on. Let's move on.
2: Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. So I already know who you picked, which is why I specifically didn't pick him. I went with Bryn Forbes. Dude is a bucket. I don't think that gets talked about enough. He leads the NBA in points per shot. I'm not filtering out anything. I'm not. There's no minutes threshold here. No minimum game. No minimum games played. He just leads the NBA in points per shot. That's pretty damn good for someone who's living on the perimeter. He's also, when you look at his effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers, 53.3. There are 103 players who've attempted at least 125 pull-up jumpers this season. Uh, He ranks in the top 13 of effective field goal percentage among that group. Uh, So, not someone who's going to, and I think we saw it, he's not going to oversee the offense. That's why you go and you get a Jeff Teague. He's also not going to give you basically anything defensively. But there's like... He has levels to his scoring, where I think you could probably safely call him a two level score at this point. and i I found that fascinating because I don't you don't need to read like a ton into it, but uh, to not filter out anything. So just five hundred and twenty four players, he leads the NBA in points per touch. I just want to note, can you guess who ranks fourth in that?
1: Absolutely not.
2: Max Max (laughs) Strews.
1: Yes, I did. I can guess it. Uh,
2: I will say the two I'm most impressed by in the top five, Norman Powell is three, Gary Trent Jr. is five, and my guy Doug McDermott, by the way, because he's shooting these wide-open threes and off cuts, he is six. I just honestly went through points per touch, and that's how I picked the underrated players. That's all that happened.
1: Sounds about right. Just totally discounting everything that happens on defense, which is why you're not picking my guy Bobby Portis here. Because he has developed what into this effective bruiser of a defender off the Milwaukee Bucks bench. He's also shooting 46.5% on threes. Like He's kind of become that 3 and D center who is somehow having a 7.5 points per 100 possession mm-hmm. swing when he's on the court despite coming off the bench on a team with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like he, he is a huge reason, along with Brent Forbes, that the second unit in Milwaukee has been better than it's been in years past. And he's one of the reasons that As I a, have. Yeah, I think so. I, he's he's a reason I have more confidence in them in the playoffs this year. There's just there there are more quality contributors.
2: I think when you look at their non Giannis minutes, which have been generally worse than they were last year, maybe that's a byproduct of Drew Holiday missed time. Mm-hmm. Still, I think they're thinner. Yeah, they've had
0: to
1: they've had to overcome a few too many injuries for the like for the second unit to really play together like they did last year. So Milwaukee I'm, was real healthy last year.
2: Yeah, that's also a good point. I will say, I think you're. I went into this thinking, you know, he has not been terrible defensively and has given them like some value there where he's not taking, where he might be like average if he just needs to do a straight uh, rim contest. You sung his praises way more on that end than than I ever would. So I, I guess, you know, kudos to you. So I'm just saying you might be a little bit higher on Bobby Porter's defensively than I am at the moment.
1: No, that's fair. So the New York Knicks, uh, This was another tough one because it feels like anyone who plays in New York gets national attention because Madison Square Garden remains the Mecca, especially during a season where the Knicks are still above 500 at this point uh, and now coming off a victory over the Atlanta Hawks that pushes them closer to earning the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. So – it's hard cause it's, it's not going to be one of the stars. Like everyone is aware that Julius Randall, except for a few of the people who responded to the NBA math promo of how good he has been, uh, that he is that good. Everyone is aware that RJ Barrett has developed tremendously. You know, Mitchell Robinson is still this intriguing potential star down the road. If he can get the fouls under control and stay healthy, um, it's definitely not going to be like Derek Rose or Emmanuel quickly. So for me, it had to be Nerland's Noel where I think there's a general awareness that he's a good defender. I'm not sure that there's a general awareness that he is a great defender there. It, it is, it is so difficult to find big men who can move like he does and who have hands like he does. On defense. Where, Let's
2: make that clear. On, on defense. His yeah, o- yeah. His offensive I, hands. I'm are in stone.
1: no way talking about his <laughs> offensive hands, but he he is a master of positioning who can switch on to virtually anyone. He impacts passing lanes. He can poke the ball away from careless ball handlers. He is a rim protector. I mean, he's averaging a, a steal and 2.1 blocks per game despite playing under 24 minutes per contest. Those are unfathomable numbers. He is a game-altering defensive force when used in small spurts, which is what the Knicks are doing. Um, I'm I'm hesitant to make him the choice because again, I think that there's a general awareness that he's a good defender, but I, I think it's still sold a little bit short. He could
2: definitely be underrated in the sense that people look at the Knicks shot profile where they give up more looks than you'd want to in theory at the rim and a ton of threes. He's part of the reason why they that like that rim volume is almost oh, guys are going to challenge him but they're not necessarily going to shoot all that well because he's really sort of everywhere. Mitchell Robinson can have that that similar effect as well, too. And I'm I'm with you on the hands just when you look at...
1: The defensive oh. hands.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Got to clarify. We're both making a mistake at this point, point. and there's really... Yeah, his ability to get steals is a big, too, and bust-up plays that way. Um, there are... And look, I am clearly saying that this is... This is who we should be compared to. There are only three players in NBA history who have logged as many minutes for their career and have a block rate of at least five and steal rate of at least two. Do you care to guess who either of those players might be?
1: Not particularly.
2: David Robinson and Akeem.
1: Okay. I was I was if you had made me guess, I was gonna say Robinson and Kirilenko.
2: I refuse to believe that you're gonna say David Robinson. You already got the Max Struess one. I'm, we're gonna say David who-
1: Robinson is one of my all time favorite players. I have looked over his numbers way too many times.
2: Yeah, I'm still going to give you an 0-4 there. I did not go with New Noel, just to be different from you. I knew he was someone that you were going to pick. And also, I do think there's that conversation point that you were talking about where it's his defensive value has been kind of known. He's just become a meme because of the deal that he turned down years ago. It was Dallas that offered it to him, right?
1: It was. Yeah. Uh,
2: By the way, did you see his Instagram story after they beat Dallas?
1: I don't have an Instagram account, so no.
2: He posted, "Do you remember the hot dog thing at halftime with Nerlens Noel?"
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Cuz that oh man, that was just such a disastrous tenure. He
2: did post a picture of a hot dog in his story after they beat Dallas. I I freaking loved it. That's uh, fantastic. I went with I went with Reggie Bullock. I
1: don't How think, could you see that Instagram story and not pick Noel? What's wrong with you?
2: Maybe on social media he might be underrated at this That's point. That's part of it. Uh, I went with Reggie Bullock. He is I think there must have been a conversation where because the Knicks don't on a night-to-night basis, there are some nights where they have. They don't take enough threes, I don't think. Uh, they just decided to tell—they gave him the more green light. He's at over seven attempts per um, per game since March 1st. He's hitting them at a 42% clip, um, averaging 12 points per game. But, like, that's his role. Like, they need you to knock down threes and score in that regard. I'm just—I don't think we talk enough about how good he is or solid he is for them defensively. Uh, Alfred Payton is the only other Nick who has spent more time guarding number one options, and that's by virtue of being a point guard. But it's not because it's Alfred Payton is this fantastic defender, and no one on the team is logged more. Well, than and
1: that. it's also because Tom Thibodeau wants to play Alfred Payton as much as humanly possible.
2: Yes, and that should still be something we troll him for. I will say when you dig into like how well their second units are faring, especially with Derrick Rose mm-hmm. and Emmanuel quickly at the same time, I get the rationale because Alfred Payton's at least someone who could get you into your offense and you don't split them up, it should still be Frankie Neal Let me make my jokes. No, I want to make it clear. Come on. It's still the wrong call, but I'm kind of seeing where Tibbs is coming from. Uh, No one on the team, by the way, has spent more time versus number two options. So this is someone who's guarding the first or second best player on a team on any given night, and it's for one of the top five defenses in the NBA, and he's part of why they're so good at limiting above the break three-pointers. So – He's been absolutely huge for them. I'm. They'll have his early bird rights in free agency, and they have cap space, so it doesn't matter. This is someone who could get like real money in free agency, though, and I don't think that's talked about enough with the Knicks in general, where this season is a Cinderella season. Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, and Reggie Bullock, three guys who have been instrumental in their success, I would argue. They're all going to be free agents this summer. It'll be interesting to see where that ends up, but I think Bullock's been underrated just because people have been more inclined to talk about of New Noel, and obviously Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett, even Emmanuel Quickly, even Derrick Rose, even Alec Burks, before a Bullock.
1: Just based on the sheer number of people I've I've heard say Reggie Bullock instead of Bullock, you might be right, that he might still be massively underrated.
2: Apparently, I'm sure I used to say that, because I think he corrected a reporter once, or noted it to a reporter, and just he let it go for years without ever saying everything. I'm happy when players say stuff, because I butcher pronunciations where – I've studied them, and then I just get nervous because I feel like I can't pronounce them. It's not meant as a sign of disrespect, but it's. I would like if, Vuce, if like Vucevic came out and said it's not. It's not uh, Vucevic or Vucevic. Like that, we. I. I think players should be well within their rights to say that if that's such a a common refrain or mispronunciation. So I agree with you. Do you remember the whole that it's not Giannis; it's Yanni, though i can't remember if that was from i don't remember that no yeah that was something that i remember reading i'll have to look that up Hmm. we're on to the toronto raptors and so i don't know Wait,
1: what we're on on the orlando magic
2: oh that might be (laughs) what
1: that um... That o becomes o O comes before t alphabetically
2: yeah why do i have them after this That is. i
1: I have no idea
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's a little disturbing uh so Shout-out to one of our locker room listeners who said that there might be more to plumb with James Ennis. Feels like he could be—that uh, he's been a good screener this year and could create more of his own offense. I, sadly, did not go with uh, James Ennis. I went with RJ Hampton because he's really only gotten playing time since he came over to Orlando. It looks like that dude's going to be really good. He has—like, he has serious control over the offense where I don't know— you know, is he going to be the best passer? And he's clearly not the most efficient scorer right now, but he can really do things at, at every level and is going to hit a lot of difficult shots. And I, you know, I can envision that being someone who's more likely to be a building block for them. I'm talking about, let's say, the first or second best player on a really good team than a Chuma Okiki, maybe even a Jonathan Isaac at this point, because we need to see him flesh out his offense or at least find a niche on offense
1: out of curiosity without looking do you know how many people have played for the magic this season
2: 26
1: oh you're so close it's 25 it's just been a weird year for them and it made it it's so hard to pick someone just with the constant roster roster flux and them trying to figure out identities on the fly and taking away the obvious central figure of the offense um, so yeah, I, I struggled with this one. I, I considered Wendell Carter Jr. I considered RJ Hampton. I ultimately went with Cole Anthony. I'm glad you, you went with
2: a, a person that's been there the entire year, because it's almost a little unfair to be like, Hey, RJ Hampton comes in midstream. I get it.
1: I yeah. get it. But yeah, I went with Cole Anthony and it's, to me, it's like a proactive underratedness. Like nothing he's done consistently has made him underrated so much as like, I understand having followed the NBA for so long the, the the pitfalls that rookie point guards typically have to undergo, especially ones who are thrust into larger than expected roles and who have to overcome injuries and who are playing with sub sub quality NBA players for much of the season. So yeah, like he's shooting poorly from the field. He can't shoot threes. His defense is inconsistent though. I would argue it's been a little better than I expected But you just if you watch him run the offense and some of the passes that he sees and the way he already understands how to read defenses and and watch things unfold before they actually unfold, it's been pretty obvious to me that there's something there. And I don't know if it's going to be realized or how quickly it's going to be realized, but I'm just trying to get ahead of the curve because inevitably we're going to see people look at his rookie numbers and write him off after this first season, despite all of the hurdles he's been forced to overcome. I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'm going with it.
2: I don't think it's a cop-out, and there, I, it feels like his outside shooting will eventually come around, put him with better spacing, and maybe give, and I think the confidence level in it is there. I will say, if we're speaking about confidence, uh, Dwayne Bacon's uh, confidence is aspirational. I want to have the confidence that Dwayne Bacon has when he's taking a contested uh, mid-range jumper look at I, I think what's also kind of you know important for this is he has shouldered a larger as you already mentioned i'm only echoing this to prove one point is that he has shouldered like more of a playmaking burden without like seeing like out being super sloppy is a turnover rate of 13.2 against um an assist percentage of 25 which is would...
1: really rare for a first year lead guard
2: Right. So I think that that's like, it's like, oh, hey, maybe he is. Now you have him and RJ Hampton, that's and Markel Fultz. If you want to run really small in the future, that would be lineups that I, that would be a three-man trio that I would just be very interested in seeing play. I don't know, you know, RJ Hampton all of a sudden becomes, I guess Fultz defends the threes in those scenarios, but, you know, that is... I, I'm with you, and I think you could, if you really wanted to, Wendell Carter Jr. has played well for them since he came over. And I still, I'm a Mo Bamba believer. I don't know if that means he's underrated, but just be, hes his season has been. No, it
1: means you're stubborn.
2: That's awesome. I mean, look, this season he has been, like, just screwed over by health. Like, it really took him a long time sure. to, to come back from, from COVID. But what about
1: the previous seasons?
2: I mean, that's that's also, He was he dealt, he dealt with injuries, though. Like, that was the other thing. So, you know. Cut my guy some slack is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, oh, and to, to uh, your point about Cole Anthony's uh, assist percentage to turnover percentage, the last player to do that, I guess this really isn't, like, and, and to qualify for the minutes per game, leaderboard, I don't know if this is aspirational, but it was Trey Burke in 2013 2014 as a rookie.
1: All right, you know I, I once viewed Trey Burke as the next Chris Paul when he was at Michigan, so I'll take that.
2: The list is: it's Trey Burke, Brian Roberts, Kemba Walker, Brandon Jennings, Nick Van Exel, Pooh Richardson, and Michael Jordan. That's not like the...
1: that's a that's a pretty decent list.
2: There's some wide range of outcomes there.
1: Brandon Jennings was real good as a rookie. There, Nick Van Exel is pretty underrated historically. Like there, there's some talent on that list.
2: If you if you kind of filter it out by who played, let's just set five hundred minutes as the benchmark. Can you guess who was the the last point guard to? Monte Morris is on the list, by the way, but he hasn't cracked the minute threshold.
1: That makes sense, just because he was historically turnover averse. Mike James but no, I, was I, I the I last player
2: minimum five hundred minutes as a rookie. And
1: that's that's even weird because he was like a thirty two year old rookie, right? Twenty seven i was close
2: by a you were off by a half decade but let's carry on now we're on to toronto they're just not my team to start with no we're, no, we're, we're on philadelphia Philly. wow i have what is wrong with me i definitely had a rogue list that i was building in this google doc
1: i'm uh i'm just glad that alphabetical order doesn't matter too much for your job
2: <laughs> oh man this is so bad.
1: <laughs> Not a better moment for you. But uh anyway, I just, Philadelphia. I didn't
2: even question it. I just have I just have Orlando and then I have Philadelphia listed after Washington at the bottom of my Google Doc. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I have no explanation for that. Um <laughs> I also don't really have like a firm selection for Philadelphia because they're like very much more of that stars and scrubs mold. It feels like Tobias Harris has gotten the shine he deserves. Ben Simmons talks about himself enough that everyone knows how good he is. Joel Embiid is obviously an MVP candidate. Um, Seth Curry has definitely emerged. I, I did think about him just because there's still a perception that he's Steph Curry's little brother when he has become this a great NBA player in his own right. Um, I, I went with Matisse Thybul hesitantly. He he made a pull up jumper the other day, so that's <laughs> progress. But it's it's just it's all about the ranginess of the defense. It's having a guy who can block three pointers consistently is huge. He can fill any role on the defensive end, despite being listed as a guard slash wing. Um, he's just he's that good on the defensive end that he deserves all defensive love. Probably not going to get it just because he doesn't play enough minutes and because his his offensive role as stupid as is to talk about an offensive role in an all defensive conversation isn't large enough for him to get enough national attention but that kind of feeds into the underratedness I could see I that. don't have a convincing argument here.
2: I could also say that you could go with Tobias Harris as a guy just is so associated with this contract that you almost forget how good of a season he's had and also because of Philly's if you look at the half-court offensive problems in theory, down the stretch of close games, he's not going to be the one that solved them, even though he's technically paid like the guy and plays the position of the person that should solve them. I went with um, Furkan Korkmaz has been. Yeah, I know the last five games he's been a huge scoring difference maker, but he's been like a pretty good difference maker all year. He's more active defensively than he's going to get credit for. Uh, I don't mean to say he's good all the time, but like he can he can bust up some plays. And he can stick with some of the, I won't say super quick wings, but he's going to help you out positionally there. He'll run the floor, gives you someone to, even though I think he's one of those players where you expect that he's shooting a higher clip on his threes than he actually is, 37.3% this season. And he was at 40% last year, so maybe I'm just living too much into his rookie and sophomore campaigns. Mm -hmm. So as a complimentary guy, I think he's been really good for them. And this whole team is just, when you have Embiid and Simmons and then can like fill out with Danny Green there... You're able to, all these other defenders, they almost organically become better, whereas Tobias Harris holds up positioning a little bit more, and Furkan Korkmaz could be just more of an asset on that end as well.
1: So not for what it's worth, worth. I, was, I was not laughing at your argument, which makes a lot of sense. I was laughing that we just got the push notification from Shams Charania that New Orleans Noel just agreed to a multi-year deal with the New York Knicks.
2: Um, do you mean Norval Pell?
1: Did I get a typo? Or did I just misread it quickly? You did. I did misread it. I, I am delivering fake news on the podcast, and I apologize to all of our listeners. Nerland's Noel is still not signed to a multi-year deal.
2: That would be—I'm pretty sure that's illegal. So just because he signed his yeah, I was really confused.
1: (laughs) I was really confused, but (laughs) it was a it was a quick glance at the phone while you were talking, and I clearly just didn't read right.
2: I don't know what became of it, but he Norenzuela actually got hit in the face of the Hawks knicks game right before we recorded this, and he left. I don't. I didn't see a status update on that yet. Um way to date our podcast. I believe now we're on the Toronto Raptors though, if I'm not yeah, mistaken.
1: We are officially on to the Toronto Raptors.
2: I think you can understand why I wanted to rush it because my pick was Chris Boucher. I so I'm, this... I'm
1: gonna let me say right off the top that he's also my pick, and I'm just gonna move on to the Wizards after you, because there's no way I will have anything to add after your Chris Boucher Love Fest.
2: My my case here would be that this podcast probably shouldn't select him because we spent enough time talking about him. But I still don't think, if anything, he's underrated in the sense that there's this view, the rap true big, and it's the correct view, but it's not because Chris Boucher sucks. There are just issues when it comes if you need him to grab a defensive rebound and then lineups with him and Pascal. If that, that's your front court, those could be a little bit iffy. Boucher isn't a pure five. That's fine. He's he's like a four point five. He's that tweener big. He's he's really, really good. Uh, you want the shot-blocking floor spacers. That's exactly what he is when you look at his numbers this season. He's also someone who who will run the floor with you. He's a, a jump shot blocker extraordinaire. No one in the league has blocked more three-pointers this year. Uh, he's averaging 1.9 blocks and hitting 39.1% of his threes uh, in under 25 minutes per game this season, almost all of which have come... Or not. I actually, should say not. Almost all of which, but he's been in the starting lineup of late, which also hurts his six-man of the year case. I had him in my top three last time I did it. He gives you some juice inside the arc too. If you need him to be a role man, he's getting better at moving without the ball in general. Doesn't need to set a screen to do it. He can come in from from the corner or find seams there. This is a a, a keeper for them. He has a non-guaranteed salary for next year. If I'm Toronto, obviously, I would you know I would I would pick it up. And just because he's not the answer at the five, because he's going to be overpowered by a lot of different fives and doesn't have the conventional size to be this fantastic rebounder, it's almost not, you know, it's not fair. And there can be a, a level of feast or famine with him, but when there's a feast of, like, uh, he can score, drop 30-plus points because, like, that's just something he's capable of with his shot-making, and, yeah, they're, they're going to be in, in losses, but just whatever. He's just so active on both ends of the floor I think he's a clearly net positive player for this team. Um, leads them in shots contested uh, at the rim this year, which really, I guess, isn't a surprise. And when you look at the threat of, he can be a little bit out of control on his closeouts because he wants to block those jumpers. But when you look at this team, uh, the opposition is shooting 2.9 percentage points worse when he's on the court from beyond the arc. And that's not just like some numbers noise. That Just watch the Nuggets and that's accurate. That is the highest mark of any remaining rotation player the best differential norman powell actually had the the highest differential but is, he's in portland now and ken birch is there too but he's only played 127 minutes so chris boucher fantastic i still think that there's you know maybe you have to stagger him and see Ockham a little bit more and you want to get more of a pure five in there if, if he's strictly playing against second units though that's someone that i think can still be log a majority of his time at the five and be a, a net plus at both ends of the floor
1: I like that you took my my decision to not add anything seriously and just went so expansive on Boucher. I hope that made your day.
2: Look, I mean, you, we know we all know how I feel about Chris Boucher on this podcast.
1: So I have a question for you. And that, that question is, what team comes after Toronto alphabetically? Uh,
2: well, I, I think it's Philly. We're up to Philly now, right? We're up to
1: Philly. Yeah, so the Washington Wizards. You know i uh i wrote down thomas bryant and i i strongly believe that he is underrated he only got to play 10 10 games this year before a torn acl cut short his season but you know what dan i lied to you because my actual pick is russell westbrook i think that he gets way too much hate you know there there are definitely ups and downs with his game he is an atrocious free throw shooter on some nights he's not much of a floor spacer he can shoot his way into losses but the positives that he brings do not get enough love these days because his reputation has shifted so drastically from his superstar MVP winning triple-double averaging days that I think it's overlooked that the dude is still averaging a triple-double this season and granted that is by no means the sole barometer of greatness or anything like that But the roller coaster that he's endured over the last couple seasons, I think there's just too much negativity associated with him. And the energy that he brings to this Washington team is contagious. It has affected all of his teammates. They all play harder when he's there. Bradley Beal has been willing to take a step back and let Westbrook take over because of the impact that it has on everyone else. And the Wizards are back in that play in tournament hunt because he's there. You know, he's not the best player on the Wizards, but... He might be the most important player now. He's not going to win MVP. He's not going to be on an all NBA team. But the impact that he's had, both statistically and in terms of energy and effort, is just immense. And it feels like people are just way too quick to dismiss him because of the flaws, when he is still a phenomenal basketball player who's going to end up in the Hall of Fame.
2: That's a fair pick. I went with Garrison Matthews. I couldn't believe that he remained on a two way contract going into this season. He was something that I pointed out as, you know, people should see, teams should see if they can poach him from Washington. And I stand by that that should have happened. He is shooting once again a fairly high clip on threes, 39.3%. What I would echo here is that these are not gimmies. He's not just camping out in the corners, um, though, that he will hit corner threes. He's firing on the move off balance and he can bake in escape dribbles when necessary. I there's there's also an inside arc element to his game. I don't know how long it could sustain until he becomes a better passer. But he has a certain comfort level on the ball, putting it on the floor, and is lightning quick when he gets going downhill. I would say almost recklessly so sometimes. Might be someone where you could see, and this kind of happened in even more sporadic playing time last year. But you could kind of see him getting to the line at a higher clip than he has this season. Um, three attempts per thirty six minutes. He was at five point four last year, but again, two hundred twenty seven minutes he played. Uh, needs to be there's definitely elements of his game that's going to need to round out and he's he's not he is he is six five i don't know how many minutes you're going to be able to competently get by playing him necessarily at the wing he has played a lot of three for washington this season so make of that what you will but this is someone he's entering restricted free agency this summer could be just one of those lower cost but but high value ads
1: yeah the only other name i would add is daniel daniel gafford i think that he might deserve some love as a, a future big piece for the Wizards, but I think that that Matthews is is a totally valid choice as well.
2: I will say that uh, I have Rui Hachimura listed as, as number two. I think that maybe he's sort of been buried just behind the the name power of, of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. But since really the beginning of February, I feel like he's there's still been just you know those those peaks and valleys as I mentioned with another player before. But he's you know he's going to be able to do some damage in transition. Um, he's he's defending a bunch of different positions at that end. I still think this is going to be someone where if he can get his just jumper sort of more under control and be more consistent, this is going to be a really good uh, basketball player. So I came pretty close to selecting him outright, but he is still sort of that, you know, has that cachet of from where he was drafted and what they're trying to do long-term to develop him as.
1: Well, I don't know if it's because my toddler kept me up all last night or because of, what we did but this was exhausting from the ideation process to the execution because we just packed a lot of info into like an hour-ish
2: hour-ish for us is 70 minutes-ish more like but i think that's a good place to end it um before we get out of here please please pretty please remember to rate review and subscribe to this podcast Wherever you get your podcast, download every episode, and regardless of whether you use iTunes, head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five star rating, and write a review. You can you can write whatever you want in the review, but give us the five star rating in the process. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well, where we'll post all our podcasts as well as some short clips. YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox, will come up. We are on Twitter as well at Hardwood Knox, and follow um, the Sports Math website on Twitter at the underscore sports underscore math. So we can be found there, too. Until next time, I leave everybody with a shout-out to the one, the only, the player we were both in lockstep with and wanted to do an entire podcast on, but there just wasn't time. So damn underrated. There's so much depth to his game. Max Struess.